Hi, I'm Brandon O'Brien from Redeemer City to City. In this series, Church and Outbreak, we're talking with staff and ministry partners around the country as we try to figure out together how to respond wisely and faithfully to the global COVID-19 pandemic. Beginning March 15th, many churches around the country and around the world were prohibited from gathering for weekend services. So church leaders scrambled to get their services online. Now more and more cities have shut down all but essential services. People everywhere are practicing social distance and the implications for ministry are huge. What should churches keep doing? What should they stop doing? What should they start doing that they've never done before? How many of these changes are for right now and how many should be permanent? Thanks for listening. In this episode, I'm talking with a friend of City to City and a friend of mine who works with Christian leaders across China. For security reasons, I can't give you the name or details uh, about this friend of ours that we're talking to, but, but I encourage you to listen carefully um, as he describes some of the changes, the strategic changes that have happened in churches. Thank you for your time. This is going to be well worth every minute. Thank you for having me. So I've been watching a couple of things with interest from uh, my perspective here in the U.S. For a while, there has been growing intensity from the Chinese government in the enforcement of uh, um, unregistered churches in China. And I think it's been happening for several years, but it seemed to really pick up in December of 2018 um, with arrests at Early Rain, um, Covenant Church, and some others. Um, and so one of the things that's interesting to me, and I think um, instructive for the rest of the church about China, is that you're sort of dealing with two crises at one time. Mm -hmm. One is a crisis of persecution, and one is the crisis of this coronavirus that is now a global pandemic. And so I thought maybe we could start, if you could maybe give us a little bit of background and, and describe the situation of the government interaction with the churches at this point. We'll start there and then we'll add the other layer in just a minute. Okay. Yeah, I think the early worrying situation in Chengdu, China, the church is something really catch or caught the eyes of the West. A lot of people know that and uh, doubt what's going on. I think that's one very extreme case in China. Uh, early rain has its own little background because of uh, the pastor Wang Yi who has been very uh, uh, vocal about what's going on in China as one of the factor and uh, he was a very popular uh, kind of author or um, liberal arts uh, scholar in China. Uh, it all has its own uh, particular background and uh, but in general, we have to see that in a uh, church and state relationship persecution background. However, that background, I think we need to broaden that background, not only limit that to, uh, not only limit that to the 2018, they have uh, a new kind of religious regulation uh, published and uh, implemented in no, uh, February 2018 and then by end of year 2018, December, you have early rain thing. We have to look the whole thing in the context of the modern Chinese history. If you're really looking to Chinese history in the past 180 years, or depend how and when do you want to count that, it can be 200 years to be a you know year um, more than 200 years or 180 years depends on how you calculate the contemporary modern Chinese history. 
uh, there is a great conflict between China as a Western empire and the West. And in that context, uh, the, the current uh, Chinese Communist Party, the regime, uh, toward the end of uh, uh, the, the 20th century, and all the Chinese people, not only the elites, they have this kind of uh, awareness, how we can save China, how can save China as a country. The modern uh, awareness or uh, consciousness of a, a nation state was not, has not ever developed until that time. So how, how we can save China? So the Communist Party came into play, basically they did two things. One, uh, through uh, their uh, very rigorous method, they sort of save China from the West. Uh, they start uh, establish the, the, the modern uh, state government uh, to uh, 1949. And uh, they are, in, in one sense, yeah, it, it's, it's a well, it's, it's independent uh, self-governing government. And from that perspective, it saved China. From another perspective, in this kind of modern clash, if you look into the, the past 180 years, Chinese people has been, or the culture has been gradually adapting the, a lot of Western uh, ways of life, including the industry, uh, industrialization, it was first adopted, and then later on people tried to uh, do the press, the, the book printing, publishing, and education, all the things are more and more adapting to China. And, um, but coming to the political system or ideology, that's always one of the battling ground in the past 100 years even. Uh, with that background, uh, what is Christianity and what is churches in that, in that context? Uh, number one, if you look into the church, it's a, a really, uh, kind of interesting position for the churches. Number one is the church body is really the first civil society or civil body. Uh, you say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is our king and not the emperor. And only my life belongs to Jesus Christ. And the church also only is loyal to Christ Jesus. And uh, Christ is the head of the body his church, not the emperor, not the communist party. So that's a great challenge to the governing uh, philosophy for not only communist parties, it's, it's 2000 years of philosophy. And uh, the emperor, if edict your, your, your death, you can't you can say no. And uh, it's, it's, it's a structure in China. So that's number one thing, it's a challenge to the government. Christianity is a deemed part of the West. Is in esteemed non-China, and even now the, the the Chinese Communist Party can see how churches is a is a potential threat. Uh, church has been in a very difficult situation politically, culturally, and uh, spiritually, and they need to be faithful to Christ. And in the meanwhile, they do have this persecution from time to time. Good. Okay. I think it's helpful for people to understand the sort of. Um, not just the context prior to say coronavirus outbreak, but right. what a lot of churches around the world are adjusting to with right. the coronavirus is that they used to meet in large gatherings. And the first um, sort of wave of restrictions, at least in the U S was that you, uh, you know, couldn't meet if you had more than 250 people and then it went down to 10 and then now it's no gatherings at all. 
a lot of churches and a lot of places in the world are adjusting to that new reality. Um, a lot of churches in China were adjusting to those limit restrictions for the last year or so as they were adjusting to these new, more aggressive enforcements of regulations. So I'm curious what has changed now with the ch coronavirus outbreak in China. How has the worship, prayer, you know, fellowship, et cetera, of Christians in China changed again in response to the coronavirus outbreak there? Yeah, I think they are. They were over the curve, and uh, they, the the coronavirus broke, broke out in China. I think end of January, and then starting from uh, end of January, all the a lot of I would say almost all the cities they have these kind of social distancing order uh, on different level, uh, central government level, or or maybe provision uh, provisional level. That's not only impact of the churches. That impacts everybody's life every Chinese and everyone. Uh, basically, people are shut house, shut the, in their home. They, they can maybe uh, have a walk in their subdivision, but largely they cannot walk out of their subdivision. There is a great social mobility power uh, for Chinese uh, government, team, uh, gar the, the Chinese government. They, yeah, they can mobilize a lot of people. They just, yeah, you're just shut into your small subdivision, your community uh, for the Sunday worship. Of course, people start to have these smaller size, like 50 people. But after these, even uh, if before people can still go to your house, they, they can retreat to a house as still the house church, 50 people, 30 people. After the outbreak, it's not possible. Uh, even for family kind of gathering, it's not possible. Uh, you're not allowed. After that, I think it's the same as in the States here. Uh, people just go online, just went online. Uh, you know, I think maybe the past five years, 10 years, people are so used to be online. There's just different forms of online, Skype, uh, WebEx, uh, even different form of the Chinese uh, software, uh, Microsoft Team and Zoom, all different ways. Uh, before this, because of the, uh, pressure some of the churches started to practice that already because if you were let's say a 200 church 200 person church and after you were broken into four smaller groups uh, how do you do your sunday service and some of them already started to have uh, four sites and one person preach the preacher preach at one side they have this broadcast and the different sites they also have uh, a, a smaller size gathering, but they, 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 they join the same kind of worship through the virtual reality or through the online facility. And after this, it just push another further way down. Uh, basically, it's every individual house, every individual family. I have the privilege to preach to one church before the coronavirus in last year, uh, maybe September timeframe. Uh, we had, I think, uh, large number people um, in different location and uh, then they got together and uh, on your screen you're maybe there may be 20 30 different windows and every window you have one smaller group you know one group can go up to 20 30 50 people and uh, i had another uh, preaching to the same church i think in february this year and you can see there are like 200 300 even 400 different windows. Yeah, I cannot see all the windows, just so many pages. Mm. And that means every every family is a unit. Mm. 
uh, coming online, have a Sunday worship. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenging time, but I think people are very creative and uh, just so persistent, uh, continue the Sunday worship. They, especially the churches we know, they have a great emphasis on the, the nature of the Sunday worship. Uh, what's the nature of a church? What does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to a Sunday worship as one body, a local body of Christ? interact commune with god on sunday that's the heavenly privilege so people long for that and because of that the sunday worship still continues just in a different form also weekly bible study weekly fellowship are also taking this form online form still continue at this point i would say um, and some of the church they have i think most of the church gave us some feedback or you know we learn from them is the good part is after they have this online forum, more people join the Sunday worship, more people join the, the Bible study, at least the first four or six weeks, because they had a lot of people came before and for, for different reasons, they stopped coming to a physical in-person meeting Friday or Saturday night or Sunday. And now coronavirus shut everybody home and you have nowhere to go. And Christian fellowship, Bible study, Sunday worship, Something draw a crowd online and uh, they listen, they, they participate. Uh, there are even uh, kind of uh, more people coming to a, a seekers group and study and talk about faith. That's some very uh, kind of encouraging uh, situation, at least in the first two months. And we hope that can continue. And also the church need to be creative. You draw the people in because of some reason, but can you keep them? Uh, that's one thing. Another thing is uh, long-term online virtual gathering will damage the church, how the church can handle that. That's the current situation. I'm just giving you some, yeah, current situation, but people are thinking, asking those kind of questions now. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because we've lived in New York City for almost three years, and we've my family has lived in different places together, but... Um, most of the places we lived before had a large enough Christian population that when I met another Christian, I didn't automatically assume that I would have anything in common with them or there was no particular reason we needed to be friends. Um, we probably disagree about any number of theological things, etc. But now after three years in New York City, um, it's not that there are no Christians here, but it is enough, the Christian population is enough in the minority that I have found a sense of kinship with other believers with whom I may disagree about any number of things. And just the fact that we're brothers and sisters in Christ actually is a compelling similarity mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And I had never experienced that before living here. I would think that the similar, the, the situation is similar in China where Christian, the Christian population is enough of a minority um, that, that there is, or could be a sense of, kinship between brothers and sisters in Christ. I also know that there are divisions and theological differences and that sort of thing among, uh, among the uh, three self churches and, yeah. and likely even among the um, unregistered churches as well. But this feels like a moment in time that might remind us of how sweet it is <laughs> to have Christian fellowship now that we're all deprived of it, you know, yeah. in physical terms. And so I'm just, I'm wondering how, you know, 
because this uh, this time of increased social pressure about uh, Christians meeting in general, and then this highly concentrated sort of um, isolation created by coronavirus, how how have you seen that affecting the sense of you know Christian unity among different parts of the Christian church in China, or as you say, questioning the nature of Christian fellowship in general and long term. Um, yeah, what what kinds of reflections or trends are you seeing in those regards? Yeah, I think I think I will push that beyond even the Christian uh, kinship in these circumstances. It's it's larger than that because uh, coronavirus, the virus doesn't distinguish your Christian or not. It's just human humanity, the common experience. So, yeah, that that really tied up. You know. The, the shared kind of experience under this coronavirus reshape people's attitude to each other. Beyond the churches, I think even at the early days, I heard the, 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 the pastors and leaders we knew and uh, they, 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 they really proactively reached out to the policemen, the, the, the local officers who has been kind of pressuring them, who has been sort of persecuting them for the past year and a half, maybe, and maybe several months, they just reach out and say, hey, I have, I have the masks. I have the masks. That's an actual thing. It's very good, good mask. At that time, early days, it's very hard to get a mask. And they said, you, you guys are working the, the front line and you're the most dangered, in danger group. Uh, do you need some masks? I, I, I will share for you. Surprisingly, that common experience, human experience, brought people together. And uh, you can see, oh, the police officer stopped by and someone, you know, it, I, I want to see the, the scenario. I want to see that moment when, when they met and they hand over the mask and uh, just, you know, part their way, say farewell. Yeah, that's, that's I think, this coronavirus will really change a lot of things dynamics we are at the very beginning of that we don't know what that eventually uh, the fruit will be uh, likewise i think for the churches in the same city there, there are still some kind of uh, tension i would say because you know even under persecution they have different way to handle persecution some church want to persist and some church very quickly will sort of giving and they have this tension, but when the coronavirus came, that's the same and they share the same experience. So I, I see churches in, like uh, in China, they have this uh, a, uh, nationwide prayer meetings and they call to all the churches, different denominations, different uh, uh, parts of China. They, they start this uh, month, one month, two months, Every day they have prayer meetings that, that pull people together. It's just pray not only for China, not only for churches, but pray for the, for the neighbors, for, for Italy, for U.S., for Germany. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's beautiful when people start to pray. And that's, that's a common denominator people can do. And the next thing may be the mission. I'm not seeing the mission, but at this point, people are praying together and also through prayers uh, they make that very well organized one hour every day and uh, all from different denominations different theological background you hear each other how how 
your theology shape your prayers and how you pray and uh, what's the focus of prayer. But still, we pray to God and it's a heartbreaking situation. We all call out for help. We all, we all repent. That's genuine. In the process of that, uh, you learn each other. And uh, God also soften heart. And uh, we learn from other people. We see other people how how um, genuinely they love the Lord and they love the community. They want to uh, advance the gospel. Also through us, we have a, as a group lead the lead the prayer process. People will say, "Oh, that's that's what you talk about the centrality of the gospel," and uh, you use Bible verses to uh, lead the prayers and maybe a book. Yeah? The thread, the theme of the book will lead the one-hour break for, you know, prayer from different perspective. And how your pastors handle the situation, they give reflection and pray. Yeah, I think that's that's that create this space and room for people really to be humble and to say, yeah, even though we are different, we can pray, we can ask for God. And then through that process, build a larger body and uh, build a kind of uh, mutual understanding. I hope that can go uh, deeper and more fruitful. And uh, we participate uh, in the past, uh, maybe a month and uh, two months, and we are also leading some of the prayer uh, days. Hopefully that can bear uh, some fruit, uh, long-term profound thing. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I, I saw. That's great. I'm, I'm wondering if there are any other questions that are coming up in the circles that you're in, primarily the pastors that you're speaking to. You alluded to this a little, but um, if, if a church went from a large gathering, this is prior to coronavirus, went from a large gathering with one pastor who might be leading in the sacraments and preaching and other things, and now that larger gathering is distributed into several smaller ones, and now it's distributed again into, you know, homes of just immediate family. Uh, what kinds of questions are these pastors wrestling with about the church's identity and the church's purpose and the church's mission that, that may have to do either with the cultural pressure or the coronavirus or both? Yeah, I, I have an interaction with different pastors from all over China. Um, I would say the number one thing most striking me, uh, most striking thing, I heard was from some of pastors was I felt my heart even hardened in this process, in this uh, not only persecution but also the the coronavirus, and uh, my heart become numb. I don't feel much and uh, just do my work. Uh, that's the most striking thing I heard. Uh, other than f even fear or some kind of tension or a kind of anxiety, anxious, anxious, is even better than that what I heard, I think. Uh, then that made me realize, yeah, that can be a unseen kill going forward. Anxiety, an anxious push you to the Lord, maybe even prayer, but the numbness and the hardened heart can make us not useful. Hmm. 
And that reaction can be think, oh no, first is just to handle the new situation. How do we do? I think up about the strategy and but inside is a hardened numb heart. Uh, yeah, we we have some prayers and when people share that, I'm glad we share that because that's a starting point in a small group of pastors. We can be honest. We can start something. Uh, the reason we had that kind of sharing is we had a prayer meeting and the pastor in that prayer meeting shared Psalm 38. And uh, the 38th Psalm is really the, the salt, the yeah, the, the, yeah the, the summit was so honest about the hardness, uh, the reality of the illness, disease, but call upon to the Lord. And in that, it just be so honest. And in all this hardship, his first reaction is to turn to God to repent and repent uh, of all their the 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 some the the all their sinfulness whatever so when that was shared among the the pastors the reflection was yeah the first thing when we not only persecuting about coronavirus we we try to control we try to think of strategy we try to uh, have different way and the numbness everything is these things really out of control uh, we have been trying to control uh, through the persecution, through everything, uh, every means. And also we, our culture is tr- has been tried to control. And uh, pandemic, we have uh, vaccine, and, uh, but we, we don't have vaccine this time. We don't have cure even. We are entirely vulnerable. That can be devastating and people handle that differently. Uh, hard in the heart, don't see that, numbness, everything is react. So I think, yeah, the first challenge really for the pastors, for ourselves, how do we deal with that? Uh, do we deal that deep enough and turn to the Lord? Yeah, and then secondarily, I think there are some very legitimate uh, church or ministry challenges people are talking about. Yeah. Will this online form uh, kind of virtual gathering affect long-run church uh, ecology or the, the, the situation, how, how we do Sunday business, how do, do we do uh, worship, how do we do pastoral care? I think no doubt that will generate, you know, they'll have a long-term good or bad effect. I think for the future, we'll utilize the online convenience much better than before. It, it, we were pushed that way. But there are also kind of concern for the church leaders is if you don't see people face to face, you're not in the same room, you, you cannot do something like accountability. You can, yeah, something you have to do face by face. Some kind of uh, you, visiting the illness, uh, some kind of discipleship, you have to do that. Will that generate long-term harm to the church if we are used to the online form? Uh, what does it mean to people's concept? What is a church? Now on Sunday, you know, during the Sunday worship time, you can still join your own church for Sunday worship, right? But nothing prevents you. You're in Chengdu or in Shanghai, you join another church in <laughs> Beijing and they have a better pastor and preaching there. <laughs> 
what does it mean for church? Is that still have to be a local body? Yeah, so that's all something people are starting to talk about. Is that why, what make a church? And why we are a church? I'm actually very glad you mentioned the first uh, item about the kind of inner life of the pastors and what's happening in their hearts in this moment. And I had planned to ask you about this because uh, I do remember when you shared that the first time in a meeting we were attending together in the fall uh, and and I wrote it down. It has sort of haunted me since then. So you've been in my subconscious for the last several months, (laughs) whether you knew it or not. (laughs) Um, But you said the the line I wrote down is that the, the persecution in China that a pastor had said that it taught had taught them that they loved their middle-class Western lifestyle more than the way of the cross. And when I heard that, and then you moved on to other parts of the presentation and my mind stayed right there. Because when I heard that, I thought, I I also prefer my middle-class Western life (laughs) over the way of the cross. (laughs) Um, And so I think that 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 planted a seed for me that has has grown for the last several months. and it has been one of the gifts for me of the testimony of our Chinese brothers and sisters over the last several months, because I think it's, it's given me, this is a very selfish thing that I'm saying, but it's given me a, from my, my relatively comfortable place, I can watch people wrestle with very difficult circumstances and questions um, and be sort of kind of refined over time and come to reflections to share with us who have a much easier time of things, right? So you get to learn by suffering and then I get to learn by your suffering, <laughs> which is the preferred way we like yeah. to do it in the West, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's a, this is one of the reasons I think this conversation globally is so important right now, because I think each yeah. of these these parts of the body of Christ around the world will receive some different grace in this process. And that if we can have this conversation together, mm-hmm. we, uh, we will all be enriched by mm-hmm. it. Right. Um, but I think that the, the, um, the thing that I have learned by keeping track of, of your work and the work of those that you work with is just how committed Western churches are to, comfort and success and influence and some other things. And, uh, and I do anticipate that just what you've described, the sort of inner work of recognizing those things is going to be a big part of the processing that we do in the U S in the coming months. And so I thank you for bringing that up. And I, and I would just ask if from your experience um, and from what you've seen, can you offer any pastoral advice or direction for for leaders who are in the beginning of that process and are beginning to realize that this is not just a logistical question of how do we meet this is a deep uh, a moment of deep reflection mm-hmm. for us what would you offer them at the beginning of that process to be thinking about or questions to be asking or um you know where where might they begin yeah, well, that's what I learned also from the Chinese brothers and sisters because they really uh, shocked me uh, when I share with you, before I share with you, that entirely changed my perspective because after almost a year and year and a half of the narrative is the government persecute the church and the church is 
the persecuted one, uh, the righteous one, and whatever, you know, and just like Heller shared, uh, being a big convention, persecution can make you self-righteous and can make you, yeah, worse. So after a year and a half, when, when I was sitting with them, when they heard, oh, persecution is God's hands of refinement, discipline us. That discipline is not only punishment. Discipline is education. No, it's more how uh, it's sanctification from the level. It's a beautiful term. So when, when I heard that, when they talk about they need to repent, they don't like the cross, they like the middle-class life, and they like control, they don't want to lose control, that changed me uh, to think of myself uh, and uh, where I, I need to uh, repent. Uh, I had one case uh, struggle through for maybe uh, two years. At that point, I just entirely gave myself to the Lord. Uh, I don't know if it's too long for your recording, but just in my ordination uh, ceremony, my, 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 my father said, I, I, I bless you to be a, a chained or in a jailed minister for the Lord. I hate that message. I hate that, you know, <laughs> you know, it's not pleasant. And also I thought that may not happen. And then after I heard the pastors, what they said, I said, well, well, I need to deal with that. Why, why do I hate that? Because I hate the cross. I hate to suffer with Christ. And deep in my heart, I say, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve the unrighteous garment persecute me. And then when I wrestled through that one, God just asked me, really? You really don't deserve that? And then I realized, yeah, as a sinful as I am, as a sinner as I am, I deserve any kind of punishment or wrath from the Lord, either through nature disaster, through illness, through the persecution, any form. I, I fully deserve that. And uh, but in the good Lord, Jesus Christ, God is calling me. It's not, it's not a punishment. It's not a rest. It's more to suffer with Christ, to suffer in Christ. Why do I want to escape from that? Is that a glory or honor? Or that is something I try to escape? And then at that point, I say, Father, um, I repent. I deserve that. And uh, but if that come to me, it's not because I deserve that. Because your son has already removed that wrath from you. So from that perspective, I I will not have that because Jesus Christ bear that. But because of that, when I bear that come to me, that's a suffering with Christ and in Christ. That changed my life. That freed me, and uh, that gave me strength and power. I think when the persecution or the even the coronavirus, these things come, that will make us worry. It's entirely out of control. That's going to threaten, as ministry, oh, how our fundraising will become. What will our strategy look like, and how the impact to the, 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 our ministry plan. 
a lot of things and we worry about our you know physical health that's legit they are all legitimate and we care people their death and and life but deeply i think in our heart there is still a comfort zone of control for so many years it's broken and uh, that can bring us to the lord that honesty uh, will uh, change us reframe us and uh, free us and empower us uh, i see that happening in my life and also i saw that in the pastor's life and uh, even some after you are so determined and uh, give yourself in to be arrested and to be imprisoned i saw the such a great power came out of their their life no fear and for christ so the second thing what i saw is in those pastors life is after they are freed the question they are asking is how can i continue to do evangelism how can i share the gospel how can i continue to disciple people how can i raise up full-time church leaders how can i reach out my neighbor love my neighbor how can i plan new churches what they share with me in november and the persecution they said not submissive to the government not submitting and hold our ground it's only the bottom line <laughs> it's the non-compromisable uh uh, principle, but our calling and mission and vision is still to uh, preach to all the nations, to plant the churches, to make disciples. We will not be measured one day by the Lord whether we we hold the house church position. We'll be measured by the Lord, and wh- whether we we did our job. The job is to to continue preach and continue evangelize, continue disciple people and uh, start new churches. That's the same question they are asking under the coronavirus. It's not to survive, it's to thrive. How can we still press on, push forward? That's why I, I'm seeing some of them, so, I'm so excited to see them become so creative. And uh, they have this online evangelism meeting, draw like 3,000 people online. And uh, uh, they have all different, kind of prayer meetings and uh, the, the pastors are using this time to start different kind of reading kind of reading group prayer group just to prepare for the next stage and uh, exchange a way how to uh, reach out so i think after the first stage really come back to ourselves to repent turn to the lord uh, some power some strength uh, will be released and uh, that will put us in these circumstances and still be church in a different way. And uh, when you enter that stage, uh, the strategy will come, <laughs> the plan will come, and the boldness will, will lead us into different uh, you know, uh, cre- creative ways to, to, to push forward for the, the ministry, the calling. So that's what we have been seeing in China and uh, uh, twice, and the persecution, and seeing what's going on now. And uh, I think that will... Uh, be a blessing. Uh, don't waste the coronavirus. Don't waste the persecution. And God has a way. That feels like a really wonderful place to end. I don't want to spoil that moment by asking you another question <laughs> and distracting from the point. Um, but I'm very grateful for this conversation, and I'm grateful for your um, your leadership and uh, for your sensitivity to the spirit, the work that has been going on in you in those last months, uh, 
I think has been evident to those of us who have the pleasure to work with you. And it has, I think, created a work in many of us too. So thank you for, um, yeah, thank you for your obedience to the spirit. And please know that uh, I think God is using that to refine others of us as well. And uh, we will continue to look to the to our brothers and sisters abroad and um, city to city will continue to point people to those testimonies of our brothers and sisters abroad because we have so much to learn from um, from their example and we're very thankful for you thank you for being with us today thank you brandon thank you so much appreciate your your time <laughs>